Well, happy Easter. Uh, we know that the reason we celebrate Easter is that Jesus is risen from the dead. So we have this little uh, interchange we do. I say he is risen and then you shout back, he is risen indeed. Here we go. Ready? He is risen. Man, way better than the 9 o'clock. Thank you. Well, we're starting a series today uh, uh, for the next four weeks uh, called Religious Lies. Religious Lies. Uh, for better or for worse, religion is a force in our world. And you might be surprised to find out that Jesus was actually against religion as it is commonly understood and practiced. He, he critiqued religion he challenged religion. He tried to convert people from religion. And, and even as a church, we want to return to a radical spirituality. Now, maybe that is a trigger word for you. You hear radical and you think I'm talking, you know, strap a bomb to yourself or drink some Kool-Aid. Um, that would be a misunderstanding of the word. If you go to it, it's a Latin word. Latin root is radix. And the root of radix is, uh, means literally root, uh, where you come from. Um, think about those words, uh, radical, uh, radish, how many of you like radishes, a root vegetable like me, I love radishes. So if, if someone is ever pushing for the extreme implications of a religion saying you need to strap something to yourself or, or drink some Kool-Aid, they're confused about the meaning of the word, of what, what it actually means to be radical. And so we want to return to the roots of Christianity and the roots of Christianity are Christ. Jesus is the, the purpose, the source, and the substance of Easter. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Uh, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Uh, Christ is actually a title. It's a, a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, both of which mean anointed. So it's Jesus, would be more accurately translated, Jesus the anointed one, Jesus uh, the Christ. So his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, that's what we want to return to. We want to figure out what Jesus actually taught because he was constantly critiquing religion the way it was practiced in his day, and I would argue the way it's practiced in our day as well. We always read from the scriptures together. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We stand together out of respect for God's word, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 23 in the Gospels. This is the first book in the New Testament um, from, written by a guy named Matthew. I'll read it aloud, and you can follow along on the screen. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. That phrase from Jesus. They tie up heavy cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. Those were uh, vestments that they wore. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi, which means teacher. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thank you for standing out of respect for God's word. You may be seated. Well, even to say the word religion, it kind of has a negative connotation. I was reading an interview with the director of a film that just came out about Mary Magdalene uh, and, and Jesus. Mary Magdalene was one of the, the people surrounding Jesus, and, and the director, in, in talking about where he comes from and his motivation for making this film, he said, well, you know what? I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. 
Maybe you've said that or you've heard someone say that because we kind of have this idea that religion has a negative connotation. So let's make sure we know what the word actually means. It's also from a Latin root, um, religion, and it means to, to bind or to bond or to connect. Think about the, the actual word religion. Uh, re is a, a, a prefix that means again. So return, come back again. Uh, religion. So and religion there that is the word where we get ligaments. So it's to re-ligament something. So it's about connecting, binding things back together that we're falling apart. So connecting back with God, connecting back with our fellow human being. If we were practicing religion in a way that connected us instead of disconnecting us, then when we have a spouse who's moving away from us and we were a person of faith, our religion would help us connect. Or if we have kids that aren't talking to us or we're mad at, then our religion would help us move toward them and connect. Or if you have neighbors that have stopped being kind, our religion would move us toward them to help them connect. So religion at its best is when it's helping people to reconnect. So if anyone is ever using religion to disconnect, then they're doing it wrong and they're living out of what we're going to talk about in this series, a religious lie. And so I think you and I know that today we are more disconnected than ever. And maybe you say, I'm not a religious person. Okay, but maybe in the truest sense of the word, we need what the religion Jesus came to teach us. Maybe we need that more than ever because we just don't know how to connect uh, with each other. So if you're taking notes, when you came in, you were handed, given a handout. Um, what that is, is there's notes for this message. And then on the back, our, our life groups that meet throughout the week use that as a discussion. And they help work that into their lives and, and put that into practice. And so you can keep notes as we go. But here, here's the first blanks if you're a, a blank filler inner. Um, religion can radically connect us, that is, return us to our roots. Or, and this is how most people experience religion, or it can tear us apart. It can bind us up. It can put us into bondage. Now, this is exactly what Jesus critiqued, um, the religion that hurts people and tears people apart and, and disconnects people. And he, he goes right at it in Matthew chapter 23, and he, he, uh, he's been watching the religious leaders for a long time. And so he starts to preach, and he says, listen to those people. Uh, it'd be like him saying today about pastors and priests. He's like, you know, like pastors have an honorable profession. Amen, Jesus. I'm a pastor. Uh, Listen to pastors. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Do you hear him? He's telling you to listen to me. Do what they say. I'm like, you know, all pastors are like, preach Jesus. That's right. And then he says, but don't do what they do. Because they don't practice what they preach. And all of us who are pastors are like, wait, chill, Jesus. I mean, do you need to say that? What Jesus is doing, he's calling out their failure to be radical enough. He's calling out how they disconnect people. Now, Matthew 23 is at the end of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and, and Jesus is reflecting back on a lifetime of observing the religious system of his day, and he offers incredibly harsh critique. We're going to use this chapter all the way through the series. Incredibly harsh critique of religion, and I want to suggest in this passage that Jesus gives us three ways that we go wrong with religion. Now, maybe this, I'm sure this is not you, but you know other people who've done these things. <laughs> the first one is this, is that we so often use God to be right. 
Again, not you, other people, the guy sitting next to you. Not you, right? I'm not talking to you. This is how he says it. They tie up heavy cumbersome loads. They put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. What, what's, what's going on here? Jesus is saying, in other words, the religious people, they tell you what to do. They tell you how to do it. They tell you when to do it because they believe that their religion makes them right and you wrong and gives them the superiority to tell you what you need to do. And this is one of the things that Jesus was most against because he saw the real life implications for this kind of view. They, like God... My religion makes me right. Famous scene, John chapter 8, the Gospel of John. There's a woman that's caught in adultery. If you read the subtext, it's, this is a setup. And the religious leaders have set this woman up. And they come to Jesus and say, this woman has been caught uh, in adultery. And our law says that we're to stone her. And Jesus says, wait, wait. Those of you who are without sin, cast the first stone, famously says. And they all drop the stones. He recognizes because they think they're right. They have the right to stone somebody else. He sees the real world implications of a religion that makes you think that you're right. Mark chapter 3, Jesus on the Sabbath, the day that you're supposed to be resting, and there are all kinds of rules around how you're supposed to rest and what work you can and can't do. And, and Jesus goes into the Sabbath on, uh, uh, and, and there's a man with a withered hand. And Jesus heals the man. And instead of the religious leaders being glad that this man is now set free from a crippling uh, deformity, He's, they say, Jesus, why are you working on the Sabbath? And Jesus is like, you don't get it. You're living out of a religious lie that you think that you're right, and so you don't care about people anymore. So we can use our religion uh, to be right. Uh, the next thing he says is Matthew 23, 5. Everything they do is done uh, for people to see. In other words, their motive for their religion is that they would be seen by people. So, in effect, their religion is not about God. Their religion is not about people. Their religion is about them. And this is the second way we go wrong, is we use God as our cheerleader for our cause. Now, I know uh, that when you go on Facebook, you're looking for harmony. <laughs> you're looking for a, a consensus of opinion. And you get affirmed for your beliefs when you log on to Facebook. But how many times have you seen someone post something political on Facebook and then in the comment section where humanity goes to die, um, <laughs> someone will quote the Bible to back up their position. And, and they've taken God and they've made God the cheerleader for their political view or social view or whatever the case may be. And, and, and that's what religion unchecked does. It makes people feel superior and turns God into a cheerleader for my personal opinions. And we do this all the time. Now, i got to pause here for a second and, and give you a, a word about the idea of religion for some in the room. Because uh, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I have been for a few decades now. And, and so I assume that there is a God. And you may not. You may be here. And you may not assume that there is a God. And this is just like hocus pocus to you. And you're like, what are, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here. And I, I just want to pause and give you, tell you why I believe that there is a God. There, there are several on um, what they call classical arguments for the existence of God. I'll give you just a real brief sketch of some of them. I won't go into great detail. They have big, long names. Uh, but one of them is called the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument basically says that there's something behind everything. If I go into your house and on your refrigerator is a picture that your child drew, I don't make the assumption that it just appeared there 
And I assume someone was behind that drawing. That's the argument. You look around the world and you go, isn't there something behind all of this? I, I may not, I don't have the language for it, but isn't there something that makes sense of all this? That's the cosmological argument. Another one is called the teleological argument, and that's the argument from design. In other words, look at your eyeball. Have you ever, have you ever studied the eyeball and how you have a retina and a cone and how your eye exp- opens and closes for light and what it does with images? It's amazing. It's intricate. And, and the argument says, is it really reasonable to think that that just happened by accident? Or think about your hand and how you have all these ligaments and tendons and muscles and bones that all work in, in, in together and so that you can, have, you can grasp something. That's remarkable design. Or uh, one of the other arguments is the, the moral argument, and it goes like this. How, how do we know that something is right or wrong? And I'll, I'll give you an example. We all believe this as Americans. We all believe uh, that every person has inherent dignity. Where do you get that idea? On what basis do you make that assumption? I could take you to other cultures where that's not the case. People don't agree that that's a moral good. But you and I, we all believe somehow that that's right. Now, if you dig down on where that idea comes from, you will find without exception that that idea comes from the Jewish and Christian scriptures, that we were made in God's image, and because we're made in God's image, therefore each individual person has dignity, worth, and value. That's the base of where that comes from. So now I, 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 we could debate all these ideas, and, and I fully understand that these aren't ironclad, but for me, for me, they push me over the edge and make me say, well, I, this makes much more sense that there is a God than that there is not a God. And then I have a couple other things that really kind of push me in that direction as well. And, and this, is, this is one, is just the idea of consciousness. We can explain scientifically, biologically, why we are alive. We can, we can explain the processes that make life. We have no ability to explain why we are conscious and we have thoughts and feelings and emotions. and Where does that come from? No scientist, and I'm not in any way trying to say science and faith are opposed. I think they're two sides of the same coin. But no scientist can biologically explain where consciousness comes from. And then the other one is what we're celebrating today, the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We, we don't believe that Jesus rose spiritually or this is a nice idea about how we can all think nobler thoughts. We believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. Now, you may say, what? That, how is that possible? Well, I would challenge you to do what Lee Strobel did. Lee Strobel was a journalist at the Chicago Tribune. His wife became a Christian. He was educated at an Ivy League university. Um, his wife became a Christian, and she started to bug him about Jesus. He was an atheist, and he said, stop talking to me, woman. Um, It was causing tension in uh, their marriage. He said, you know, I've got all this training. I'm an investigative journalist. I've won awards. I'm going to set out. I'm going to prove that this is ridiculous. And so he set off down the path to investigate all that transpired with the life of Jesus and the life of his disciples and his death and his resurrection. And he came away and he said, "I I had to admit that this actually happened in human history. And now he's a follower of Jesus. Wrote a book about it called The Case for Christ. If you, 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 I don't agree with you. Okay, do the research yourself. But for me, for me, all of those things push me over the, the edge and make me say, you know what? 
it makes way more sense that there is a God than there isn't. Now, even, even if, if you say, well, I can't get in gear with that. Well, they say that the limits of human knowledge are uh, uh, maybe 2 to 5% of all knowledge that's available. So you're telling me that in your and my 2 to 5% of knowledge, which means that 95 to 98% of human knowledge is unknown to us, that in that 95 to 98% of unknown uh, uh, realities to us, that there's not a possibility of a God? Wouldn't it be incredibly arrogant to say, I know for a fact there is not a God, and therefore I am an atheist, and this is ridiculous and stupid and hocus-pocus, flying uh, spaghetti monsters? And, and it, It's, it's, a, it's a statement of, of wisdom, not a statement of condemnation that the psalmist says in Psalm 14.1. Um, he says, listen, the fool, the person who lacks knowledge, says in his heart, there is no God. Wouldn't it be more humble at least to just say, maybe? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a, a more humble posture? So for me, that, that, pu- that pushes me over the edge. But, but religion, still, it doesn't solve the problem of how religion gets misused so, so often. And, and Jesus observes that it so often goes wrong. Well, why? Why is that? Well, I think this is the third reason, the third way we go wrong with religion is that we make God in our own image. I often have conversations with people and, and we'll talk about God and, and belief in God. And, and they'll say, well, I don't believe in God. And, and usually my standard answer is, okay, well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. I may not believe in that God either. And then they'll sketch for me a caricature of a God. And I go, that's, that's not at all the God that I believe in. So let me give you really briefly four, uh, four pictures or, or ideas about God that I, I, I would tell you are religious lies. And many people... Good people uh, base their lives on, on one of these four pictures. The first one's this, that God's a distant deity. So God made the world. Now he's sitting on a cloud somewhere. He's uninvolved. He's not present in the world. This is the God of Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was a deist who said that God, like a watchmaker, made the watch and then is uninvolved in what he made. And so God is not personally present. Present, And you don't need the watchmaker for the watch to run unless the watch breaks. And so how, if you have this idea that God is a distant deity, how it impacts your life is that you only call God when you have a problem. God, my watch is broken. Hello? My wife wants to leave me. Where are you? I got cancer. Why did you do this to me? And prayer for you, if this is your idea of God, is like a vending machine where you take your quarters and you put them in and then you push the button and you wait for the thing you wanted to come out. And you have this transactional relationship because God's a distant deity. Well, that's a religious lie. Second one is this, is that God's a demanding judge. Uh, instead of being distant, God's involved, but you don't want him to be. He's always sighing. He's always disappointed. He's constantly frustrated by your lack of moral performance. God, when you offend him, he cuts you off. He's like a parent, like all of us as parents who say, why can't I get my kids to behave? What is wrong with my children? You know, any, any other parents feel? Okay, just me. How it impacts life and, and religion is that then you operate like God is always ready to condemn you. I'm still surprised. Um, I guess I, I shouldn't be, but, but I'm still surprised when people will say things like, well, you know what? If I go into a church, the roof will collapse. What's the idea of God that's operating? God's a demanding judge. 
It's, also what happens when you have this idea of God is you believe that whenever you do anything wrong, that then it's your job to stay away from God. Maybe if you were a part of the church, you have to leave the church until you can get your act together. And once you get your act together and get all cleaned up, then you can come back to God. Well, this is a religious lie. This is not what Jesus taught God's like. Third one is this, is that God is like a doting grandpa. You know, he, uh, he's always buying you ice cream. His lap is always open. You ask him for $10, he gives you 20 There's no rules at his house. He indulges all of my desires and endorses them. In fact, his greatest good for me is getting whatever it is that I want. And so if this is how you think God is, then you recruit God as your personal life coach while you work on Project Self. And, and honestly, I got to be really honest with you, especially if you grew up in the church, you might have one of those other pictures of God, that God was a distant deity that, that you really couldn't know if you could connect with, or God was a demanding judge that you always had to please. And this can actually feel very healing. Like, oh, you mean God likes me and wants to be around me? God wants to have a relationship with me? I mean, this can actually be a very healing thing. But here's, here's what they've done. They've done research with parents now um, because many parents make the mistake of thinking, you know, I want to be my kid's friend and instead of realizing that at the, the juncture in life when you're raising them that they need a, a, an authority figure, a loving authority figure, but I want to be my kid's friend. And so I want to give them whatever they want because I don't want them to be angry with me. And they've done a bunch of research on this and what they've found is that this creates inside children mountains of anxiety because then they don't know where the boundaries are and and you know as like I know that our desires change all the time and so inside of children that are parented this way mountains of anxiety I mean who knew it could be so tyrannical to get everything that you want so that's a religious lie that God's like a doting grandpa fourth one is this is that God is a a deterministic micromanager in other words he's in meticulous control of things God's the ultimate helicopter parent always hovering like oh my gosh oh my gosh did you do that right did you do this right did you? and so what it creates inside of you if you have this picture of God is you believe that God is constantly disappointed if you don't get minor details right and you're always nervous about how your life is going because maybe you didn't do it the way God wanted you to do it and you don't trust yourself to make any decisions because God might be disappointed with the decision that you make all of these all of these are religious lies now listen you could read the Bible you could take isolated incidents and scenes out of the Bible, and you could find some support in Scripture for any one of these four mistaken understandings about God. But when you take them all together, when you take the picture that Jesus reveals, you find out those are all religious lies. That's why I'm glad you're here on Easter Sunday, why I'm glad you came today. Because if one of these is rolling around in your heart, what you need to hear is that, Je- like one of my friends says, Jesus came to cure God of his bad reputation. <laughs> Jesus came to rehabilitate our understanding of God. If you're taking notes, Jesus came to convert us from that kind of religion. Jesus came to tell us what God is actually like. And Jesus, in Matthew 23, he says that God is like a teacher. Now listen, if you have a good teacher, your your teacher will be kind to you, but they're not going to tell you whatever you want to hear. If they're a good teacher, they're going to tell you what's true, even if you don't want to hear it, because they want you to be the best you. Jesus says God's like that. He says that that God's like an instructor or a guide, and and, and a good guide takes you where you want to go. If you had a guide that didn't know where they were going and and you hired them to take you into the Grand Canyon, you're going to (laughs) die. 
You want a guy that knows where they're going and, and they'll take you where you need to go, not where you want to go. And, and Jesus says God's like that. But then this is kind of the central image, the central picture that Jesus paints for us of what God's like. He says that God is like a father. And Jesus comes back to this over and over again in his teaching and tells us that God is like a, a good father. Now, even when Jesus taught us to pray, do you know the, do you know the Our Father prayer? How, how does it start? I just told you. <laughs> Our what? Father. The word Jesus uses for God in helping us understand what God's like is the Hebrew word Abba. If you were to go to Jerusalem today and you were to go into a supermarket and you were to find a little four-year-old boy who got lost from his dad, he would wander down the aisle and he would say, Abba, Abba, Abba. Tender image. The Apostle Paul, who uh, takes the teaching of Jesus throughout the ancient Roman world and spreads the teaching of Jesus and starts the Christ- it helps to start the Christian church in all of those places, he picks up on this. He says, and that Father, that God that Jesus told us is like, he has adopted you as one of his children. Now you belong to him. So I want to show you just a very short video clip here. And, and this gets me every time. If this is not, if the emotion that comes out of this, this image you're going to see in just a second is not what works up inside of you when you think about God, when you think about Jesus, then you haven't yet understood fully the God that Jesus came to reveal to us and because he's far better than we could have ever imagined. Watch this. You have one more it's gift. not from Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's another gift. Why don't you... Careful, open it up. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? We love you so much. We'll always be your parents. I love you so much. I love you. Jesus came to tell us God's like that. I, I don't know why you're here. I, I don't know if you're here to please grandma. I, I don't know if you're here to check off a religious box. I don't know. But if there's a God who made this world and you in his image with worth, value, and dignity, wouldn't it make sense that knowing that God personally would be one of, if not the most important pursuit of our lives. And instead of God being a word, Jesus being a fairy tale character you've heard about, there might actually be something to this. And so I, I've got two, two actions for you, and then we're going to be done. Number one, I, I, would, I would challenge you to consider the religious lies that you have believed and how they've messed you up. And, and I would invite you to be a part of this series for the next few weeks and learn what Jesus actually taught about the nature and character of God. And, and actually explore this, maybe for the first time, or again. And then the second thing, and you, you don't have to be religious, you don't have to be a Christian, but when you came in, there was a thing on your seat, and it listed you know, uh, all the things that are coming up. This tells you what we're going to talk about in this series, and 
uh, Mother's Day thing and a kids' adventure camp that's going to happen this summer. And then at the bottom, there's this thing that says For the Region Challenge. Maybe you've seen the stickers that go around that say For the Region on people's cars and you've wondered what that is. It's just us trying to quarterback hope for the region and say we want to be for the region and we want to be a blessing to the region and we want to make a difference in the region. And, and so um, here's the challenge. And it'll be a way for you to practice a powerful form of reconnecting with other human beings. Um, just go, you can get one of the stickers if you want and put it on the back of your car. They'll be at the desk out there and I think some folks will be handing them out as you go out the door. Um, Go through a drive-thru this week in the next seven days and wherever, McDonald's, Starbucks, whatever you go, Dunkin' Donuts, pay for the person behind you and just say, hey, I just wanted them to know I'm for the region. I hope they have a great day. And you'll, do, you'll be part of an act of reconnecting with other human Someone did this for me about a week or so ago. It was totally unexpected. And I just, I felt like a million bucks. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Religious or not, you could be a part of reconnecting people. So I didn't invite you to try both of those things. Would you, uh, would you pray with me? I'll invite you to stand if you would. I'm going to pray for you. And uh, as you leave, make sure you grab a picture with your family at the, the booth in the other room. And let's pray, okay? God, thank you. Uh, thank you that you came as a baby into our world. We celebrate that at Christmas. But then you lived the life that each of us should have lived and wanted to live but couldn't live. And then on a cross on, on Good Friday, you died for the sins you died of the world. You died for my sins. Because there's not a single one of us that gets it right. Not one. And, and you did that out of love because uh, you wanted to be close to us. And then on Easter, we celebrate the fact that you rose. And so you have the power to enter into our dark places, uh, our broken places, and bring hope, light, and healing, and salvation. And so uh, we want that. We want Abba, Father, to be the one who guides our life. And so um, some of us this morning, we open ourselves to you in a way we haven't maybe ever or in a long time. And thank you that you're with us on that journey. We pray these things in your name. All God's people said, amen. We have a practice here of leaving you with a blessing, and you'll see people holding out their hands. It's their way of tangibly receiving a blessing. If you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, that's okay too. Just receive this blessing. You're sent now to love the God who loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. You're sent to love people in his name and to serve the world and make a difference, reconnect people. Uh, You're sent to do all of that. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. Happy Easter. See you next Sunday.